Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Cinemites podcast. This podcast where we take two different movies every episode and compare them against each other in a series of different categories to see which one is ultimately the better film. Uh, it's a big episode this week, a very big one, actually. Um, when, yeah, when um, when I first thought of this, the idea for this podcast, it was these two movies and how they were being compared online. That was really like the catalyst for it. And that was where the inspiration came from. So I feel like we had to do it this weekend, considering it's all that most movie fans are talking about. Did you say catalyst as a pun as well? or No, I didn't even mean that. Okay. <laughs> I did that by accident. Um, joining me this week, as he will be doing every week now, as we've decided he was fine enough last week, is Just Mr. Nathan Hannah, the brand new co-host going forward. How's it going, Nathan? You look tired. I am tired. Busy weekend. It's been a very busy weekend. Obviously, we both work in cinema. It's been a very, very busy weekend. Um, but I'll be hand up and hand that has definitely been busy. Definitely been busy. There you said it then. Um, the two films we'll be doing are Greta Gerwig's Barbie versus Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Barbenheimer um, as it's been... Barbie versus Oppenheimer. What are we talking about? <laughs> Eleanor actually made me watch that last month. and I'm not going to lie, it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. <laughs> somebody, you know who I'm talking about, and they'll know who I'm talking about if they hear this, but somebody made me listen to the Barbie Princess and the Pauper soundtrack uh, the other night, and it was genuinely the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I actually think there's some bops on that. I I didn't mind that film, um, but it's not quite on the level of Barbie uh, that's just hit cinemas, which has taken the world by storm. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do these two movies because they've been compared endlessly online since it was announced they were released on the same day. It's become a social media trend that they were re- um, released on the same day. So many people are watching them back to back. I did. I know you watched them together as well. Um, yeah, so I feel like it's well, Barbenheimer obviously is the main thing, but you watched them in the right order, you watched Barbie and then Oppenheimer, which is the name order, but I did it the correct way a nice, nice, juicy steak with a bit of dessert afterwards. Yeah, I wanted to watch both in like the eye sense, so the way it lined up, it had to be Barbie first. I wanted to do Barbie last because I thought Oppenheimer was going to just leave me depressed. And I wanted to end it on a positive note. Um, so, but it, it panned out the way it did. But I enjoyed both. And first, I just want to quickly mention before we get into it like, do you know, with how movies have struggled this year, and obviously, stuff like Indiana Jones and The Flash, all these big franchises have really struggled. And now we've seen these two movies that are like two of the biggest, they've had two of the biggest weekends of the year. And I think it's probably the busiest I've seen a cinema since like Avengers Endgame. And it's quite crazy. Do you think it's because of the social media trend then? Or is it, this is something where directors and filmmakers will see that you can take these original stories and drive uh, guests back into the cinema? I think, well, speaking to the Endgame thing, it quite literally is the biggest weekend for UK cinema since Endgame. And I think it's like third overall. I think I read somewhere. I've not, I can't say that's true, but I'm pretty sure it's like third overall opening weekend. And I don't know, I think part of it is the the social media trend of stuff, of Barbenheimer. People really wanted to do it, but I think it's hard with Barbie because original story, yes, but it's still based on the, the doll, obviously. Um, but it is still original, and I don't know yet. I think there's going to be a change from this and more of these, these individual IPs can hopefully start pushing through because franchises, we're starting to get a bit of fatigue because with franchises, it's now it's 
if it's not about bringing back legacy characters like we did Ghostbusters and obviously Indiana Jones and stuff, it's about bring, trying to bring these old franchises back, hopefully not back to the future, uh, but bringing these old franchises back. And even like Marvel and DC now both don't feel special anymore. They just feel expected, um, which is something somebody said to me earlier, and I agree. It, they don't feel special, they feel expected. Um, but yeah, hopefully we start seeing a trend of more individual. Obviously, Christopher Nolan's always, except for Batman, is always going to do that individual stuff, unless he gets on Bond, which would be amazing. Um, but hopefully, we start to see a bit more individuality in 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 film releases. Definitely. I saw that about his um, interest in doing Bond. That would be something special. And I can only imagine the work he'd do. Yeah, I think what I'm hoping is they don't take the wrong message from all of this and start trying to coincide releases to try and replicate it because this is this is one of the moments that just don't happen often like endgame was a moment that doesn't happen often you can't replicate that now and i think that's why marvel have been struggling and i really don't want studios when they finally pull the fingers out and pay the people correctly i really don't want studios to be like right well let's I, i've already started to see the hashtag because the new saw film and the new paw patrol film like saw patrol like it's going to be they're going to try and push it as many times as they can and this is just a a, a moment in in culture that's that just really hit correctly yeah it's one of those things where these sorts of things happen like they happen by accident it's not it's not made by design and like you said it, it does look like people are going to try and manufacture this sort of thing now and hope to piggyback off that trend and I don't think you'll ever be able to capture that magic again it's like lightning in a bottle and I saw that soul patrol thing which is ironic but no, let's just, it's a one and done thing, I think. I think we, we shouldn't try to keep this up. I think as well what helped is the two massively anticipated movies, like um, a Christopher Nolan film, from all of my opinions on Christopher Nolan films lately, a Christopher Nolan film is a big deal because he is a big filmmaker. He is film, he is cinema. You know, straight after the Tom Cruise movie as well, like these two big heavy hitters in cinema. And then, of course, you've got, Everybody loves Margot Robbie. Everybody loves Ryan Godlin, and everybody loves Barbie by the looks of it and by the feel of it. My legs this weekend, but everybody loves Barbie. So it was not. It wasn't two random movies that people that Barbenheimer got people excited for. I don't think it's two big movies that people genuinely excited for. Forgot if they didn't release on the same day, I'd be there day one to watch them anyway. If I, you know, could get the time off, but if I would be there to watch them, so I think it's having that excitement level as as, as well as the the cool. And I think it's great, you know, the interviews with the cast and everything, where interviews are clearly trying to get to push that narrative as well. But they're just as excited because it's it's a win for cinema and it's a win for movies. Yeah, and I think the most important thing for me, which we're about to explain even more, but the fact that both films were actually just really, really good. Like it could have been there's a different universe where we got to this and they both sucked and it was the most anticlimactic thing in the world but the fact that one both films rocked is so good what's that sorry one might say they bombed in an alternate universe. yeah yeah maybe yeah but one last thing i want to touch on before we get into it is last week we had mission impossible dead reckoning and now this week we've got Barbie and Oppenheimer. Is this one of the ten, the greatest ten-day runs in cinematic releases ever? Because this has been incredible. Probably, and I mean, this summer's been it. We've had some cracking films, to be fair, and like the Flash. Like, like, <laughs> no words. <laughs> I'll, I'll you. 
I said I said to you the other day, my friend suggested uh, we should do the Flash versus Green Lantern, and I said it can't work because he likes the Flash. Yeah. I mean, I liked Indiana Jones. We had Spider Verse. We had Indiana Jones and the Barbie and Oppenheimer. Hopefully, next week brings uh, next week brings the Ninja Turtles, which I'm a huge Ninja Turtles fan. So hopefully, that's really what's taking that that Mitchell's versus Machine Spider Verse style. So yeah, hopefully this kind of trend does keep continuing. I like as well, like. We started to see, even in franchises like that, we started to see individuality, like the reinvention of the Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles is a massive franchise, but they're doing it completely different with a brand new style. So hopefully we keep going forward in that way rather than, like the, I, I saw the Marvels trailer and just thought, Marvel film, cool. I'm not excited anymore. Like I don't think Guardians, oh Guardians, we missed out Guardians as well. Like that was a huge film and that was amazing. But that seems like a, that seems like the, um, the opposition to the rule rather than the actual rule so yeah i think there's like definitely like a superhero problem now and it's interesting that like i think the two obviously it's making a bold prediction now but i feel like barbie will be one of the highest grossing films of the year and the other one is super mario's so it's interesting that there's no superhero film that's even made a billion this year whereas there's a cartoon about the Super Mario video game, and now there's a film about Barbie which looks set to smash it. And it's just, it's, it feels like audiences, uh, they're, they're over superheroes now, and it's time that everyone's slowly moving on. But that being said, Superman Legacy is still one of my most anticipated films ever because I love that character so much. So, you know, for Blue Beetle, no, that's going to be a nothing. I don't even know, I don't know what the point of that is. And it's a shame because I like the actor, and I think. The character have done well will be good, but I just don't think anyone cares right now. And I think it's the worst possible time to release it because there's no stakes. I'm looking forward to Superman. Um, but yeah, I think with as we'll probably get into with Barbie, it's a part of a franchise, it's a part, it's a toy brand. It's clearly an advert. It was I bet they're looking at it's like it's advertising, but the way it's done, it's it's not just this is Barbie, this is it is something deeper, it is something it turns it on its head a lot more. And it, it makes it makes it special. Yeah, I think that's what shot me about Barbie. On the surface, I expected a very like cookie cutter, fun movie about the character, but it actually has delves into so much deeper. And I, it caught me off guard. I didn't expect it, but yeah. It, and I think Greta Gerwig in general is just hasn't disappointed me yet. Like Lady Bird, I I fucking love. Little Women, I love. Now Barbie, I love. Like, that woman just keeps firing on all cylinders. And she said next she wants to do like a big blockbuster. So we'll see what that takes. Takes her. I hate to make myself look like a massive misogynist, but I've never seen a Greta Gerwig movie. I've seen little bits of Little Women, and I remember enjoying it. But I am definitely going to go back and watch it now because, like, this film definitely impressed me. I definitely recommend Lady Bird as well. That 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 was so good, like so so good. Anyway, um, enough yapping about nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll get into it then. Obviously, we'll explain the rules this week because I feel like I've not done that once since the beginning one. Um, so the way it works is we'll take the two movies and we've got a series, 10 different categories which we're going to rate them in the winning movie in that category that we deem was the better movie will get scored 10 and the loser will get a 9 if it's close and anything less than that means it's really one-sided it's usually like it, we take it from like UFC and boxing where the judges score the rounds and each round the winner will get a 10 and the loser will get either a 9 or an 8, depending on how one-sided it was. So that's where the whole ruling comes from. Obviously, we can rule ties. There are 10 10s available if we feel like it's necessary. And sometimes it is, because sometimes there's no separating some of these movies. And I feel like 
when the movies are so close in quality, it's hard to score in one particular favour. So, yeah, we do need those um, on hand just in case. Well, what we'll do is we'll go in reverse order. So the first category, I'll go first and explain my reason and my score, and then you'll chime in with yours. And then the next one, we'll flip the switch and you go first and so on. Um, but, yeah. Nice. Before we before we jump into the categories, I feel like I need. I said to you the other day, I need to make a public apology, and I do. And I do <laughs> we've had a few listeners, so I've had loads of people say last week's episode was dead good, and we, we really enjoyed it. We had some good positive feedback. Your your partner had some good positive feedback. My partner had some good, positive, but I've been ripped by everybody that's listened to it so far by saying that Mariah Carey did the soundtrack song for Deadpool two. So this is my public apology to say that it was Celine Dion. So I do apologise. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad because I imagine Celine was fuming when she checked it out. I I saw a Twitter account and she made some pretty nasty comments. See, I couldn't see it because she's blocked me as a result. <laughs> I didn't want to lose that Toblerone sponsor. <laughs> yeah, Toblerone following us now out of nowhere. That was random. Um, but yeah, so without further ado, let's get started with the Cinemax uh, podcast this week. The very the battle between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbenheimer. So let's go. So first up, we'll start with the best lead character. Um, so I'll go first this time. You've obviously got Margot Robbie as Barbie, who, and first I just want to start this by saying, I think Margot Robbie is probably the best actress in the world right now, in my opinion. Like, I don't think I, I can't remember the last time I saw the movie and didn't think she was absolutely sensational. And also she could be the finest looking woman I've ever laid eyes on. Like <laughs> I said it to Ellen when we got out of the cinema, I was like, I just kept looking at her in Barbie and there's obviously a moment in it where they even like mentioned how good looking Margot Robbie is. And I was like, I just kept looking. I was like, how is this woman real? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> and obviously that's against, is it Cillian or Killian? Killian. See, I keep hearing different things from different people. So I didn't know how to say it. I'll go Killian there. And then if we're wrong, you get to make another public apology. <laughs> so I yeah. Like uh, so definitely th- spoilers in this video if you've not watched either film yet. Oh, yeah, of course. Spoiler alert. Yeah, good idea. I was just going to go straight up and spoil everything. Last episode. uh, Sorry, Ethan, you're getting called out, but you'd not watched Ghostbusters or Back to the Future. Is it Ethan that not watched it or is it Morgan? Ethan definitely hasn't. Oh, well, sorry, Ethan. Yeah, so, yeah, at least this this time you've been given fair one. I don't know why I'd even watch it if you'd never seen either movie. I mean, I appreciate the support, but... (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, um, yeah, so spoiler warning. Yeah, good shout but yeah, we've got Barbie, Margot Robbie's Barbie versus Killian Murphy's J. Robert Oppenheimer, the man behind the creation of one of the most ridiculous weapons in the history of the world, one of the most important men of the 20th century, um, and the creator of the atomic bomb. Um, like I said, I think Margot Robbie is incredible in everything she does, and she feels like she was ready-made to be Barbie, like she was perfect. But I actually think this is Killian Murphy's greatest ever performance. And if he doesn't win an Oscar for this role, I'll be very, very, very surprised. Like, I've seen pictures of J. Robert Oppenheimer um, against Killian Murphy. Name. What's that, sorry? Forget Oppenheimer's name. It's the name of the film, man. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've seen pictures of him put against it, and it's it's crazy how much he looks like him. And the the, the way he portrays the character, it's so good. I don't think it works quite as well without him in that lead role. Like, it's unbelievable. It's obviously we've got Killers of the Flower Moon coming out later this year with Leo, and people at the Cannes Film Festival were saying it's the best Leonardo DiCaprio performance ever. So, 
that might come out in October and change my mind. But at the moment, I don't, I can't see anyone unseating Killian Murphy as the Oscars best actor favourite. So I had to go 10-9 in favour of Killian Murphy. I think every film Leo does, everybody says this is Leo's best role since what the last film. It's like a DC, Leo's like a DC movie. This is the best <laughs> film since Dark Knight. And they're never that good. Um, but yeah, I mean... Oppenheimer and Barbie, both lead characters, like the names in the the names in the titles. I agree, Margot Robbie is literally the perfect person to play this role. Not only can she act, she looks like her, she's hilarious, she's and she's you know, she's smart. She, she's not the she's she's a producer of Barbie as well, I think, isn't she? She pretty much brought this whole party together. And you know, watching the film, you can believe that she is stereotypical Barbie. She is the Barbie that you think of. That joke that you said when it's like a Margot Robbie probably not the best person to uh, play this role when, you know, because she's calling herself ugly. And it's like, you're right, there's not a Margot Robbie film where she's not the highlight of it. Like, even the first Suicide Squad movie, I would watch that because she's fantastic. I mean, I'd watch it for the same reasons you'd watch it, but because she's fantastic Harley Quinn as well. And Birds of Prey, I absolutely love. Um, you know, he's fantastic. Wolf of Wall Street, obviously, all that kind of stuff. And she's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, it's Killian. It's got to be like the one thing I kept thinking throughout that movie is I, like, I'm not a huge Killian Murphy fan. I'm not a really, I don't like Peaky Blinders. And he's always in kind of these smaller roles. Um, and he's very quiet and he's very reserved in his roles, all just that little bit quirky. Whereas, whereas this one, he's, he's, he's doing that, but he's doing it it almost feels grand when he's doing it. It feels like this really large character in this really meek, meek body. And everything he does is fantastic. Like just his facial expression, there's a, there's a part at the end when he starts having that that turnaround and started to come to terms with what he's done. And you can you can see in his eyes, like in his small facial movements, and there's nothing, there's no other performance I've seen this year that even comes close close to what he's done. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I've not really watched much Killian Murphy stuff. I've never actually seen Peaky Blinders. Never watched it. There's not much of his that I have seen, like, much of. Like, I've obviously watched his work with Nolan in the past, like Scarecrow and his role in Dunkirk and stuff. But, like, he's not someone that I've been... Like, he's not, like, on the level of, like, say, Leo, where I've watched a lot of his stuff and I know what to expect. So watching him come in and play Oppenheimer and just absolutely just kill it, it was so good. And like you said, just because obviously this is a major spoiler, but the film obviously leads up to the the big the bomb, and I just assumed that was going to be the final like the final yeah. act. And obviously it comes about two thirds of the way in, and I, I at first I was a bit like, I'm not sure about that. Like now we've just got an hour like without it. It felt quite anticlimactic at first, but that final hour where we see him struggle with the guilt following creating the bomb and how he deals with that so it's some of the best acting i've seen in so long like he was incredible and i've not seen anything that even comes close to it this year like i'm not when i first saw the trailers and stuff and i, I said to a couple of people that i thought i felt confident matt damon was going to be like a scene stealer in that film and matt damon's incredible don't get me wrong but i think killian murphy was just phenomenal there's 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 no competition i don't think so yeah it was an easy call yeah, uh, yeah, I went 10 9 uh, Killian, but yeah, it's hard when you've got such a fantastic cast all the way through that movie 
but he really, really just stands out as, I mean, should do is the lead. That is literally his role, but he 100% stands out in everything that he does. Every single, there's the, there's the moment um, near the middle um, when his former lover has committed suicide or not. Um, but, and he like goes off and he's having the breakdown and it's just so, it's just so raw and like really, and from there as he starts to build up that pivot and and the ending um, where he's kind of realising, um, we won't get into it because we've obviously got an ending category, but those words that that person spoke to him and, he stopped, and you see him realising it in his face and he's still that same person and he plays it so well. And obviously he's playing off, he's basing his acting off of a real person. So there's a foundation there, but yeah just just phenomenal so yeah uh, we'll move on next to a category that we're doing this week in celebration of just how deep both casts are we wouldn't usually do something like this but i think because there's such large cast it felt important that we singled out the second lead in both films because they play such large roles and we didn't want them to be swallowed by the rest of the cast when we're talking about them both so we're going to go the second like second lead character now We've got, obviously, Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer as, um, I can't remember his first name. Is it Louis Stross? Is it Louis Stross? Yeah, I think so. And um, who... Stross as well. Yeah, beforehand, though, I didn't realise his role was going to be so big. Like, from the trailers, you don't see much of him at all, so I really didn't think he was going to be that prominent. I saw the uh, interviews... And I, I just kept thinking to myself, why is Robert Downey? Have they, have they brought him to the interview because he's the big name? And why is he in it? Like, why is he here? Like, it, to me, it was like, oh, it's just RDJ's ego because I know what, you know what it's like. And then as soon as the film opened and you got the Oppenheimer opening and then Strauss's opening, I was like, oh, is it going to be like a side by side story? And it, it pretty much is. And yeah, I didn't realize he was in the film. I thought it was going to be kind of like, um, you know, it's a really weird comparison to make, but uh, Jurassic World 2 and Jeff Goldblum's in there. Oh, yeah. Like courtroom at the beginning, courtroom at the end. I thought it was just going to be a bit like that. But, I mean, it was technically in the courtroom at the beginning and at the end. But I didn't realise it was such a huge role. No, they kept that quite well hidden. Um, but going up against RDJ, we've got Ryan Gosling's Ken, who... Everyone seems to be talking about coming out of that movie. Um, he was incredible. Um, they both were, and it's quite interesting. I've seen, I came out of Barbie, and I, when I go on Letterboxd, I like, like, and I re- review re- review something. I like to read other people's reviews on there as well, and I saw so many different people in the comments. Ryan Gosling getting that Best Supporting Actor, he deserves it. This is unbelievable. No one can beat him. And then when I went to watch Oppenheimer and came out, I did the same thing, like to read the reviews. And the exact same comments are being aimed at Robert Downey Jr. So I was like, this is pretty wild. So I ended up putting a poll on Twitter about it just to see what the majority of people thought, which I'll share in a minute. But yeah, we've, we've there's no point being around the bush. So we'll cr- crack on with that then. So I'll let you go first. What? How did you score this one? It was so hard. <laughs> It was so hard because this is Robert Downey Jr.'s best role to me. Like, this is the best role. This is the best acting he's ever done. It's the deepest acting he's ever done to me. I, you tell me it's not Doolittle? No. Well, what is? <laughs> it's, I, I, you've got to separate Doolittle. Um, I think it's 100%. Like, it's going to be... 
it's, if Iron Man wasn't a thing, it, this would be his crowning achievement. But everybody's obviously always going to remember him as Iron Man. But this is his crown. And I think this, since he left Iron Man and the Marvel behind, he's kind of struggled to have those roles where it's as memorable. I love him in Sherlock, but this will be his right no he is still he is still a powerhouse he's not just that fun person he's not just that fun cast lead he is a powerhouse and his like he played his older self in this movie the older strauss he played an older version of himself so so frail and perfectly but also really powerfully as well and i think him as a person his personality going into that that I want to say character, but it was a real person. Like, really helped because he is, he has got that sense of power. He can be like that, that bit cheeky. He's got that, he's got that ego to him, which we all love, but obviously we don't in Strauss. Um, and I think it hopefully will be remembered as one of his strongest roles. I know it won't because people will just go, well, it's Iron Man. Um, but I swear, if I see anybody compare, say that Iron Man's performance in Endgame is better than this, I'll flip because it's not. It's just not. Looking at you, Martha. Yeah, <laughs> that's the second shower she's got in two weeks. She's Maybe we'll she's... just have to try find a way to just work her into each episode. Just uh, to try no, to... not, she doesn't need an ego. <laughs> but um, she, yeah. What was I saying? But he did. This is what he she, he should be deserved to be known for because he is. It was a fantastic portrayal. But it went 10-9 to Ken <laughs> because I maybe biased, but I love Ryan Gosling. Um, and he's done a lot of good roles, a lot of phenomenal roles. Nice guys, don't say a name. Nice guys is one of my favorite films of all time. Crazy Stupid Love is my favorite rom-com of all time, and he's perfect in that. Um, I like like you know, Drive is fantastic, but Ken was it was perfection. There was nothing about it. Like the innocence of him and then going into that, learning about the world and then that cockiness and the, the you know, misogynistic side of him and then realising it's all just over this hard shell. Um, he he really, really played it really, really well. And obviously it's a bit slapstick. It's a little bit over the top. And, you know, it, it is played up for laughs a lot of the time. He also has one of the greatest songs outside of Eurovision Song Contest movie uh, of the past God knows how long. But yeah, just for not it's just the just the small facial movements, the small reactions he does when other Ken is talking. Well, should I say other, just say Ken? When Ken's talking to Barbie instead of Ken, you know, he does that quick look or he just like, oh you know, it's or when he goes when he goes um when Barbie asks him if he wants to go out and he goes back into the house and goes, sublime! Uh, phenomenal. But I think it's easy to see him as this slapstick character or whatever, but what I really took away from what I think Ryan Gosling did really well was that he really portrayed, like I was saying, Ken is this like innocent, almost like a child at the beginning. He just wants love and affection. He just wants to be seen. He just wants love and affection. Then he, he kind of goes into the real world, realises that well, not realises, probably not the right word to say. I don't want to get cancelled on a second episode of a podcast ever, but he gets the impression that men are better. He's kind of taught that men are better from all these things he sees and learns, and men are better and men are more powerful. And then in the long run, it's just 
it's not really what he wants and he just wants to be loved but he doesn't know how to show that he doesn't know how to and he doesn't even know who he himself is and he has to find that and that journey that he goes through is almost as important as the journey barbie goes through as well um but absolutely loved his performance two very really hard because they're two very different performances one's very serious and one's really fucking not um but yeah I, you can't is is it was phenomenal I, I, so anyway, it's my, that's my go-to word for when something's amazing, phenomenal. But he, we were just saying before we started recording, he brought the Kennedy um, in both the good and the bad ways. <laughs> yeah, I've actually scored it exactly the same way. I had it 10-9 for Ken as well. Because like it is hard to compare them because they are so different. And that's why this episode is going to be much more difficult than most because usually we like to take two films that are very similar. And these yeah. two couldn't be more opposite. But... <laughs> I think with Strauss first, did you, I mean, I don't know how much you knew, but I had no idea that his role would eventually turn villainous. I didn't see that coming. I didn't, I didn't know, know the backstory. I don't know. I didn't know anything about Oppenheimer. And I was tempted to read up on it or like watch something, but I thought if I'm going to learn about it, I want to do it through this and I can kind of fill in the, take the um, dramatization of it afterwards. But yeah, I didn't know anything. So it was really nice going in and just like having that. You still got that classic Nolan twist, even though it's fact to history. Yeah. But similarly, obviously in Barbie, Ken also has a bit of a villain turn as well. So there are, there are some is weird villain, similarities. Is he a villain, Carl, or is he just a misunderstood boy growing into manhood and doesn't know how to navigate the trials and tribulations of the world? Yeah, but he does, he does, <laughs> he does act a little naughty. By so, saying villain, Carl, you say men are villains, and I would, <laughs> I would probably agree to a certain extent. <laughs> but yeah, I think at first when they cast Ken, there were a lot of eyebrows raised at Ryan Gosling being the choice because he didn't seem like the obvious man to play the role. But I don't think we could have possibly got on a better performance. He was born to play Ken. He brought that energy like nothing I've ever seen. That song, which I told you last week, I told I told you how good it was. I told you. I, and it was unbelievable. I refused to listen to it until I watched the movie and you were saying it was dead good. I was like, I'm not listening to it. So, and you were right. I don't know how many times I've played it on my playlist. I'm going to play it every time I feel sad. It was uh, brilliant. And I think with a role like Ken, there's got to be a certain level for an actor where the, there's got to be that, that self-deprecation, the way you can just make fun of yourself. And I think Gosling showed he had that, like, in leaps like it was unbelievable like the way he just was so comfortable making himself look like an idiot and it was so funny everything he did was funny like like you mentioned the bit when you said like the sublime but it was before that when barbie knocks the door and he ran past and he heard the clatter and then he came out pretending he was cut she caught him reading a book like it was brilliant and the outfit choices he made the dance off he had with the other kens during the um i am ken song like it was it, it was so good and he is one of the biggest talking points from the film. I know a lot of people, a lot of the biggest message people are taking away, and rightfully so, as we'll mention later in story, is obviously the um, the feminist empowerment and stuff and the way women are treated and how they need to stand up for themselves, and rightfully so. But there is also a really strong message about like men and the way Ken struggled to believe in himself and the self-doubt he had, and it's that lack of self-worth and how he felt like he needed barbie's love to find that and i think that was one of the strongest messages for me and i think that was one of my biggest takeaways seeing him at the end obviously 
they still made it look ridiculous because he was like crying and then he kept trying to like he kept taking it words the wrong way, which is very fitting for most men taking yeah. any hint of kindness as a as a as a, um, an act of interest. Yeah. But um, he was brilliant, and I mean, he didn't even just have one good song because the lyrics to um, the song playing the guitar were quite worrying, but the actual song was still quite catchy. Like he's a great singer. I mean, obviously he did La La Land, so we know that. But I, I want to see what he does to sing more. Yes. Let's have more. Get some musicals in him. I'm ready. I want it. But yeah, I went 10-9 for Gosselin as well because I think RDJ's role, while was much better than I expected from the trailers and he was brilliant, but I think Gosselin was actually the best role in Barbie, whereas RDJ was outshone by Killian Murphy, I think. So I think it's hard. As well, but I think as well with Ken, Ken's portraying... A child, like I said, I, I, I took away Ken's portraying a child going into adolescence, whereas Barbie was portraying a girl moving into womanhood. Like that was kind of the story. And I, and I just think that really, that adolescence part of it really helped his performance and really helped his character. And he did it with that kind of naivety of men are great, we are powerful. Though they, oh, it was a bit weird. You're saying he's got some of the funniest moves, not this, but it's like when he's, uh, he's going to show her he's going to surf and he runs and he hits that and hits the plastic wave. He's like, oh, did anybody see? <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. Everything he said was so funny. Um, and But interestingly, we've both gone 10-9 there for Ryan Gosling's Ken, but I put that poll on Twitter and over 310 people have voted so far and it is overwhelmingly in favour of RDJ at the moment. Really? So, and I don't know if it's because Oppenheimer was obviously the more serious film and you think of like best supporting really? actor at an Oscars and it's very rarely going to be someone playing a role as goofy as uh, Ken. So that might be most people swaying, but I just think the performance, it was, I think it was harder to be honest. I think it was a harder role to nail and I think he did it perfectly. So yeah, I think that was... Um, We've, that's two we've agreed on in a row now. I imagine there's going to be quite a few of you actually that we agree on because it's so close. Are you saying you don't think it was a stretch for Robert Downey Jr. to play a powerful rich white man? <laughs> yeah, I think we. I think he might be typecast at this point. <laughs> um, so moving on, we'll do the cast next because I think these two movies have two of the deepest casts we've seen in quite a while. It just felt like both movies had just from top to bottom were just stacked with recognisable names and I've not I can't remember a time where there was obviously there's been movies in the past where we've seen stuff like that especially like Quentin Tarantino movies and stuff but if, to have two movies come out the same day where both movies are so so deeply stacked with and there's people coming in for like two or three lines that are just worldwide superstars like I can't remember the last time we saw anything like that so I feel like this is probably going to be the most interesting cast category we've had yet so I'll go first this time and obviously in Barbie we've got and I'm going to say this now one of my favourite ever supporting roles ever in Michael Sears' Alan yes (laughs) that was absolutely sensational I loved it so so I'm surprised no more more people weren't talking about that actually I um, I saw I I really wish I could remember the username not that anybody's going to care but I saw a um a TikTok of because I'm down with the kids, um, of some of, of, of a girl saying, um, 
can't believe that Barbie's this huge feminist movie and everybody's coming out of it saying Alan is their favourite character. It's supposed to be a movement for women and Alan is everybody's favourite character. And then it moves on and it says, I'm part of the problem though, because Alan is my favourite character. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's fantastic. He was brilliant. Other than Alan, obviously, you've got quite a deep cast that's even got like Dua Lipa in a cameo role, John Cena, you've got Will Ferrell. Um, like just it just pops up. Does he even speak? I wish I wish that was kept as a surprise though. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Because that was such a like a, a cameo that it would have been so much better received if it we had no idea it was coming. Um, but you've also got like Emma Mackey and um Kate McKinnon and stuff, and I think everyone in that is just so so good that it's would take something special to beat it, but Oppenheimer's all-time great cast for me has 10 8 it. I think okay. Oppenheimer 10, Barbie 8, because I didn't, I didn't even talk about America Ferrer, by the way, who was one of the stars of the Barbie film. I think she that monologue she gives was one of the best moments in the film. So I just want to quickly shout out that before I just talk about why I think Oppenheimer's cast is one of the best things I've ever seen. <laughs> because from top to bottom, like... If you if you had to name all the deep, the great names that show up and give some of the best performances of their career, it'd take me like ten minutes. Like there's so many great names in that film. There's some that show up for literally two or three scenes, like Remy Malik or Kenneth Branagh, who are clearly okay. just they want to work with Christopher Nolan. So they just did like yeah, just give me what you want. There's Jack Quaid, who is obviously from the Boys, and he was in Scream Six, um, no Scream Five, sorry. There was People like Josh Peck from Drake and Josh, my guy Josh, who, if you'd have told me 15 years ago watching Drake and Josh, he'd be, he would be in an Oppenheimer film helping launch the atomic bomb, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, you've obviously got names like Florence Pugh, who gives a really, really good performance in more ways than one. Um, Emily Blunt, who's just superb and has some really good scenes, especially at the end. Like Her scenes towards the end are superb. She had one of my favourite scenes. We're not doing quotes today, but she had one of my favourite when she was like, it was 16 years ago, and he starts talking about, no, 17 years ago, and he starts talking again. He's like, oh no, 18 years ago. I was saying that to Ellen, one of my favourite moments in the film, and there was a woman next to me that actually cheered when it happened. And it was when she was being interviewed and she was like, kind of looked, she looked like she was defeated and she was like, like, oh, I'm sorry. But then she like looked up and went, because it was so long ago, it was like the most triumphant turn. And it was like, she just took over the interview at that point. Like, but even then talking about Jason Clark was really good in, and he had that one scene where he was doing the interviewing throughout the film. He was fantastic. Yeah. Matt Damon was great as always. He always is. So there's not much to that. Oh. Obviously, my guy Josh Hartnett coming back out of fucking nowhere oh, and just having one of the best roles in the film. I was so happy seeing that. Like, I love Josh Hartnett so much. I so forgot he was in that. it. What's that? Sorry, I forgot, I forgot he was in it. And then he turns up. I was like, that's Josh. Because uh, uh, me and Grace had just watched Black Mirror. And I was like, are we having a, is that Josh? It's not Josh Hartnett. Is having like a Josh Hartnett renaissance again? It seems that way. And I'm all for it because I love the guy. Like, Give him his due. Let's get him back in these big films. He has refined with age. <laughs> he has, yeah. Um, also, one that we spoke about earlier that I had no idea until after film was that Gary Oldman just had one scene and that was it. Just one great scene. Like, it was unbelievable. It's just some of the names in the cast that were showing up just to work 
minimal screen time and it was it might not be the case but to me it felt like it was a sign that they just wanted to work with Nolan some of them had worked with him in the past like Oldman and things like that but it felt like everyone there was like this is going to be a special move and we want to get in it in any way we can and I think just from top to bottom that entire cast was just exceptional like I haven't seen anything like it. Like, even um, is it David Crumholtz who plays Bernard in the Santa Claus as the elf? I've, I've not seen yeah, anything yeah, in a while. Yeah. And then he was there, and I was like, oh my God. Like, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. And like I said, I love the Barbie cast. I think they were all great, but the Oppenheimer one could be one of the deepest I've ever seen. So I had to go 10 8 in favor of Oppenheimer. Well, I, I, I'm not going to go as harsh as 10 8 because that's harsh. Definitely harsh. But I am going to go with 10 9. The Barbie cast was fantastic, like you said, America Ferreira as well. Um, Rob Brydon as uh, Daddy, uh, Daddy Ken. <laughs> what is he called? Sugar's Daddy? Sugar's oh, Sugar's Daddy, Daddy Ken. Ken. Sugar's Daddy Ken, yeah. Um, fantastic. Uh, little cat. And like Shooty Gatwa as well as Emma Mackey. Like, I really enjoyed that every time, like, Shooty Gatwa was Emma Mackey's um, Ken, because obviously there was in... Uh, sex education together as well and then I can't remember the the guy's name um but the the guy's also is in sex education that's in Will Ferrell's little group as well oh yeah like just again loads of small people John Cena was amazing Alan I have put in my letterbox review like Margot Robbie is Barbie uh you know Ryan Gosling is Ken but Michael Ceremony is just Alan and he was fantastic Alan was fantastic, and he brings that awkward Michael Sarah energy that I love in everything that he's in. It was real Arrested Development kind of stuff, and I absolutely was 100% there for it. But, yeah, you can't argue the Oppenheimer cast. Like, Rami Malek was in it for not – was it even a minute? Was it even 30 seconds? But the impact he made on not just the story – but like the overall, like literally broke down the structure of the film in his little speech at the end. And, you know, you've got Gary Oldman, who it took me a second to be like, that's fucking Gary Oldman. What the fuck was he doing here? And, you know, one that you didn't mention, Alden Orenreich, you know, the young Han Solo playing um, Robert Downey Jr.'s aide. And, you know, Emily Blunt, absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. There we go. Phenomenal again. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. And I did love the bit when she's just looking, like you said, looking there. She's she's gonna cry, and then she's like, "Oh, actually, fuck you guys." And uh, you said there was a woman sat next to you. It might have been Grace because if she went to watch it, because I was sat next to her, she was like, "Yes, <laughs> go on." And she was absolutely smashing it. Like she was loving it. But these bits with Emily Blunt, like when Florence Pugh kills stuff and uh, Killian's having that um that that breakdown and she's there say so, oh, there's a really great line i really wish it i could remember it but it's something along the along the lines of you don't get to sin and not live with the consequences or something like that um but i really wish i remembered the exact line but it was such a great like hit to him and it really pushed down on that character is and the ending bit when um i can't the can't remember the guy's name but he goes the one that kind of moved on from Oppenheimer and kind of played against him. She, he went to shake his, shake her hand and she just stared him down, like proper stared him down. Oh, it was so satisfying. So, so satisfying. But yeah, just loads of loads of small characters. Um, but you mentioned him. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not Josh Hartnett, but 
my absolute favourite character. And I'm I'm he might be my next Ryan Gosling that I just kind of always say I don't like, but I'm slowly falling in love with. But Matt Damon was amazing as that as, as the character that he played. Um, I like when uh, they're like walking off the hand. It's like I need this, and he's like, "No, you get this. I need this, and no, you get this." It's just, just great. And the the bit of the interview at the end, um, and he he still shows that respect for Oppenheimer. He says, "I wouldn't choose any of these these guys." I literally leant over to Grace. I was like, "Oh, they're friends." <laughs> <laughs> but no, Oppenheimer cast ten nine. Undoubtedly, you 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 can't. I said this a lot last week you can't argue it because it's such a powerhouse and you can tell it's because i want to work with christopher Nolan. i don't care i don't care who it is florence Pugh's character was amazing that was a tortured soul played tortured soul by a tortured not by a tor- it was played perfectly as a tortured soul and she came just came off a good person as well which is two tortured soul roles in a row yeah, next one is to check on how she's doing she, no wonder she shaved her head is she okay <laughs> But, well, I tell you, one thing we didn't even touch on is obviously oh Oppenheimer's cast. Going to be doing later on in the year. We're getting the Florence Pugh <laughs> year, yes. But um, we never even touched on Simu Liu in Barbie, who was also really great. Absolutely, oh, great. The the one the scene, my favorite scene is the the Ken's dance off, and he is throwing some shapes like he was incredible. So I wanted to just make sure I didn't forget him, and we actually give him a little shout out. But yeah, the Oppenheimer cast. Matt Damon, who I don't think I remember the last time I saw him put in a bad performance. Like I really rate Matt Damon so highly. So having him in such a prominent role was it, it really, really pushed that film up for me. And like I said, going in, I thought he would be the standout performance. And it just turns out Killian Murphy was just at an all-time level. But yeah, yeah, I think I obviously felt a little strongly, more strongly about the gap between the two. But I think we both agree that Oppenheimer's cast was the better cast. I really, really struggled because they're both amazing casts, but you can't deny Oppenheimer's. And the thing that tipped it for me was Will Ferrell. I love Will Ferrell. You love, I know you love Will Ferrell, but I think he went, and, and maybe it's the direction to be like, um, it's ridiculous that these men get to be in charge. Maybe that was the direction, but the he too, I think it was too over the top for the real world. Um, and it was like really, really ridiculous to the point where he like the, the bit where he ran past her and he was like, oh no. And then I ran back like almost very, like it was very, very slapstick, very much like a cartoon to say it was supposed to be in the real world. And I think he, like his performance kind of t- tipped it to be like, no, Oppenheimer's is definitely the better cast because he, I kind of feel like Will Ferrell let the side down. And I don't say that often about Will Ferrell, even in the worst movies he's in, he's still <laughs> some of the best parts. Yeah, no, I haven't seen Tom Watson, so you haven't seen that. No, don't yeah, ever watch that. Don't ever watch that. Um, yeah, I think that was what caught me by surprise. Is how cartoony even the real world felt. I thought we were going to get like a real dose of realism when we got there, but it was still quite over the top. Um, but we're moving on. Then we'll go to the best story as a whole, the best um, story told in each movie. Um, obviously, Barbie's story was much deeper than it looked on the surface heading in. Like I didn't expect it to take the turns it did. And it was obviously about initially it's, we see them all in Barbie land and she starts to experience some troubles and it all comes to a, down to a trip to the real world where she has to meet the the girl that's been essentially playing with that doll. And it leads to, through a, who else? Did you see that twist coming? Yeah. 
Yeah. Because it didn't show the mum's face, I, I knew exactly who the mum was and I, I knew the twist on that bit. Um, but still, I think having America Freer play the role added a depth to it that it might not have got otherwise because she was incredible. Um, but yeah, through all the different twists and turns it takes, the entire movie is essentially about like just believing in yourself and that feminist empowerment when girls are beaten down by society and treated cruelly for being who they are. And I think the message is a really good one. And especially for, for young women nowadays who are seeing what the world's like and how it treats them. And they need this is this, I think this will go down as like one of the feminist movies of the ages. I oh, think this will be 100%. so significant for all women going forward. And I think, like I said earlier though, that's not all it is. I think there was obviously that message about the Kens and them finding their own self-value away from Barbie because he's been linked so closely with the character. It's just seeing who you are when you separate from that thing. And like you said, it was almost like a boy going through adolescence. So I think all of those different core values and the way it's treated was so well done. And I think that story for me was a little bit more impressive than Oppenheimer's, which is clearly a huge story and it's it's the significance historically is monumental and the creation of the atomic bomb and how it swung and essentially ended the war and the way um, Oppenheimer had to deal with that guilt afterwards was such an incredible like story and I'm glad they included that bit I'm glad it wasn't just about the bomb and it was about the crippling guilt he felt afterwards and the way the country after doing so the country treated him like the way it turned its back on him and the legacy that he now has, despite essentially murdering like hundreds of thousands of people, um, is a really dark one. And I think while it was impressive and it was glorious to look at, Barbie's story resonated with me more. And because of that, I actually went, what did I go? 10-9 in favour of Barbie. I forgot that. I had to check how one-sided I went with it. It was 10-9. <laughs> impressive i copped out and gave it a 10 10 i couldn't decide because everything that you said about barbie is 100 correct and you know it's not it almost felt like the reverse of a wizard of oz where it's you know dark and whatever and going into a beautiful dreamland and it's it's the opposite it's this dream and then realizing the reality of the world and and all of that and I really, really enjoyed it. And not just that, but the, I think that message of empowerment, everything like that, really important. And they definitely addressed it in their own way in today's culture that not only is it now, obviously historically being a woman's not been great. And as two white men, I think we are the best people to discuss it. Um, but I think even like, I think it's, we're now in a culture where not only is it, bad to be a woman but it's also it's it's not you can't have any you can't have anything as a woman without it being some kind of a part of an agenda or a part of like a forced message or something so a film about barbie which is no matter what you do is going to be about a woman it's woke quote unquote that's not my terms but that's what people will call it it's going to be woke or you know because there's uh, there's a fantastic bit in one of the background songs where um I can't remember the actress's name, but the President Barbie and the sing the song's going like President Barbie and it's singing that and it's uh, like it was proper making me laugh. But I've seen people on 
um, like Twitter and stuff, like, oh, they was forcing that down your throats, like, do we need a black president? Um, do we need a black a woman president? Do we need a black woman? It's like it's clearly played because a lot of people aren't getting that message. Is it's not being shoved down your throats because of that? It's being shoved down your throats because we they're talking about what we're missing and what we aren't giving people. And the construction side joke was absolutely fantastic because you know no, you don't typically, you think of a construction site, you don't typically think of women workers and stuff like that. So it is, the the entire message of it was fantastic. And unfortunately, it's going to be divisive because you're going to have, for lack of a better term, twats on one side who are like, no, it's woke, they're trying to force an agenda, they're trying to teach our kids the wrong way and all that kind of stuff. They're trying to brainwash our kids. And but on the other side, you've got people who actually see the message and of, you know, that empowerment and, and women get to being, decide what they want to do, which was the ultimate message of that movie at the end. Um, to the point where, again, Grace was sat next to me going, yes. So like when, when the big moments happened. So it it was just phenomenally done in a comedy, which is, really hard to put such a deep message in the bit at the end which i like to call these moments the uh, harry potter railway moments like where it all goes white and they end up talking to somebody and it's like harry potter and dumbledore and it happens quite often in movies weirdly um they had one in um, endgame was it endgame with infinity war with um thanos and gamora like those scenes like that was like really really powerful and they, like that that small moment where she touched her hands and you see her breathing and going into her eye and then you see all the montage of the uh, women and girls it was that that nearly made me cry i didn't because i'm a man but it nearly made me cry um and it was phenomenal but again oppenheimer had an advantage because it was based on a true story and that kind of made me want to give it a nine but instead i gave it a 10 because of how the story was crafted and how it was put together. I have not been liking what Nolan does with editing recently. Dunkirk was ruined for me because of how he did it. And Tenet, I wasn't a massive fan of um, because again, how it was edited. And I know that was all due to the time stuff, but I wasn't a massive fan of it. But how he did it in this, but not with just with time, but with black and white and color as well. Um, I wish I could say that I picked up on it, but I did read it online that the, the color is from Oppenheimer's point of view and um, black and white is from anything other than Oppenheimer's, mainly Strauss's point of view. And it was worked perfection where you had scenes played slightly differently in one colour to another colour. And how it all played out leading up to that moment when you have kind of the, you have the twist, you have two twists and it's leading up to that moment where RDJ is the villainous character. He's not his friend. He's doing, he's done all this to play out this long vendetta he's had against him and then there's the second twist where it all collapses around him and then it my absolute that all that build up to what einstein said to oppenheimer because you know strauss thought it become obsessed that oppenheimer had turned einstein against him um when really it wasn't that it was just giving him the reality of what's what comes next um, was absolutely fantastic and it was expertly crafted. I put in my letterbox review, it is definitely his third best movie 
after The Prestige, which is number one, and Inception, which is number two. Uh, but it's definitely his third best movie. And it was just, which is high praise because Inception and Prestige are probably some of my favourite films of all time. Um, the Prestige more so. That's just top tier, perfect movie. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Oppenheimer is just a masterclass in storytelling and editing and how it was done. The fact that they didn't show this huge explosion they shown the reaction to the huge explosion rather than the explosion. Just everything that was done, it was done for a purpose. It wasn't a wasted second. And then you get to that, like you said, that two thirds moment and you kind of go, oh, I thought this was going to be the end. And I had that same thing as you, where it was like, I don't think I'm liking this. And then it started to build back up to this human drama. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this is fantastic. And I can't wait to watch it again. So I couldn't, I, it's, it's a 10-10 because both, both films did exactly what they set out to do perfectly. And I'm too much of a wimp to score one way or another. <laughs> no, I get that. I think the Oppenheimer story as well, it almost felt like a sports movie to me. The way he he put together this team and it was all building up to this one big event. The way this a sports movie would genuinely revolve around like the big game or like in a Rocky film, it'd be the big fight at the end. And it was all about this explosion. But then, like you said, two thirds of the movie in and it comes. And then it was like, where do we go from here? But I actually think that's where the movie got even better. I think the the, the guilt and the, 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 the way he was harassed and like the trial and stuff afterwards and like all of that, I actually think that's what made the movie, took that movie to another level for me. And uh, the Avengers style gathering of people and then like he walks out in the uniform and they're like uh, you gotta do one thing you gotta take off the uniform and he's got, always got like that superhero Batman suiting up for the first time where he picks up the hat and picks up the pipe <laughs> yeah but no they were both great stories it's hard to separate um, the quality of them but um, we'll move on now then to the best opening and I realised then that I went first twice in a row so I'll let you go first for these next two. So we'll start with opening. Um, so uh, do you want to talk us through the openings? Yeah, um, Oppenheimer. I, I can't really remember the opening to Oppenheimer because it's such a long movie and I was so tired. Um, but I remember, from what I remember, it opens up with um, him in the kind of interrogation room. Is that right? Yeah, it, it opened up with Strauss, I think, and then it quickly went into his early days at university. Oh, yeah, the early days at university, and he's, he's, he's like, kind of struggling with these visions, and he's, like, terrible in the in the lab and everything. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't... I'm probably, probably going to give it away that I preferred uh, Barbie's opening to, to Offenheimer's, the fact that he's not that... In fact, you could remember it. No, and I think it's it was all character building, and it was all, like, the work up to what he becomes, and it's 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 all that build up to what he was from what he turned into and how he got there. But I really enjoy what I really enjoy. Oh, it, it opened up with the flames and the, the quote, the, um, the, the Greek quote. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed the seeing him go through them struggles and those visions of all the, what I assume are practical effects because it's Christopher Nolan. And I really can't wait to see how they were made on the, on the behind the scene. Um, but uh, yeah, grow, growing and finding what he's like, and the bit where he, he, he poisons the apple and kind of like fuck wakes up the next day and, and rushes to do it. 
that interchanging with the uh, Robert Downey Jr. stuff, and you kind of don't know what's going on there, and you get you get your first taste of color versus black and white. Um, it was really really good, but for me, that it it was all set up, and probably why it wasn't as memorable because everything that it builds up to, for me, those are so memorable moments that this is kind of easily forgotten in my eyes. So quite obviously going to give it 10-9 to Barbie because Barbie's opening was just fantastic with the with the voiceover from Helen Mirren getting describing what Barbie Barbie world is like and you know um what you're doing tonight and just having a massive choreographed dance uh, dance off and all that kind of stuff and the party and everything about it was just really just set up the the expectations for what this movie was going to be it was it was it was hilarious perfectly introducing Barbie having that voiceover was fantastic explaining as well like why there's no water and you know Barbie nobody ever takes their Barbie and makes them walk down the stairs and all that kind of stuff absolutely phenomenal again um really really funny I'm not gonna lie I can't really remember either of the openings very really strongly because I was absolutely knackered for both of them because both both films really like build up uh, to what they are later on but I just remember Barbie I think I didn't stop smiling at all through Barbie. And as soon as that film opened, my my grin was already massively wide. Um, so and introducing all the different Barbies, it shows you Midge. Nobody talks about Midge. It's depressing having a pregnant Barbie and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I gave it 10 out to Barbie. I'm going to stop talking because I can't remember either very well. No, I actually agreed, though, with the 10 nine. To Barbie, I think, like you said, Oppenheimer is such a long movie, and so much goes on that the opening doesn't feel very significant. And like you said, aside from the explosive, like the way it opens with the explosion on the screen, the flames, and like the quote, I think it's Prometheus, uh, quote about Prometheus. Like aside from that, there isn't really much to talk about with the Oppenheimer opening. Whereas the Barbie one, obviously, Helen Mirren just nails the voiceover like it's incredible we get the, the the cool scene where the little girls discover barbie and just start trashing those, oh, yeah, like, shit, yeah. babies the, um, <laughs> was that, that was incredible to... it was an awesome oh, like introduction cool. to barbie land as well i think yeah. just the whole set like the way it was introduced and we saw like the way world the world was there like drinking from the cup but there was nothing in it and stuff like that and the way it tells you perfectly who every character was and how like superficial the, everything was there. Like it was so, so, so entertaining. And that didn't give away where the film was going. And no. it, it, at first it led me to believe it was going to go like in a very different direction. So just to see all that and just the introduction to Ken and just immediately seeing that the guy was a fucking idiot. And it was so funny. And like um, even Alan was there and it was not only the introduction to him, but it was, Helen Mirren's over that detailed all the different versions of Barbie and like the majority were most of them like came from the like there was things about like like I said the pregnant Barbie image and the the way how controversial that was and stuff and I think it just feels so like such a much more memorable opening than the Oppenheimer one so I agree I, I had to go 10-9 for it um and 
I don't think that was... I, I could have gone 10-8, to be fair, but I settled for 10-9 because I don't think the Oppenheimer one was... Like I said, you couldn't even remember it. And I'm trying to think of the... I don't know if it's because it was a three-hour film and so much happens later on, but the opening wasn't that memorable at all. So, yeah, I agree with the Barbie win. I think like you both said, it's just because the rest of the film is that grandiose and everything happens on the later halves, the, the, the beginning halves, is, it just feels like a, a quick-stop tour of his life building up to that. So it didn't feel as it didn't feel as impactful, but I completely forgot about the blooming um, space odyssey opening to um, to Barbie, and I know it was in the trailer, but fuck, like seeing it on the big, seeing it properly, seeing it as part of the film, it's it's the little girl with the glasses, her face, it did it for the trailer. The little girl with the glasses looking up at her with a mouth open, like oh my god, like gets me every single time. They start bashing and stuff. It's extended and they start breaking everything. Absolutely phenomenal. So we'll move on then to the um, the best ending to each movie. Um, I'll let you go first again this time, so because I went twice in a row. But we'll quickly run them down. Obviously, the Barbie they couldn't be more different. The two endings they could not yeah. be more different at all. The Barbie one ends on quite a positive note, actually, with um, Margot Robbie's Barbie character choosing to move to the real world and become human and it ends quite hilariously with her going what what appears to be like a job interview like at first it seems like she's going for a job or she's going to work and she obviously goes in and reveals it's the gynecologist which is obviously played for last because i mean i don't know what the situation is there i don't know how i don't know what's going on i don't know if she's been transitioned to human and she's got female parts now i don't know I did love the line uh, with the construction where she's like, I don't have a vagina. And then Ken's like, I've got all the genitals. <laughs> yeah, and then, so just to have that earlier in the film and then at the end, she just reveals she's going to see a guy, a gynecologist was hilarious. And on the flip side, the, the Oppenheimer ending couldn't have been more dark. Like we finally see what his conversation with Albert Einstein was before um, Einstein ignored Strauss and it was like the catalyst on Strauss spitting his dummy out essentially and turning on Oppenheimer and it was the way he said we thought setting the pre- uh, setting this bomb off would um, unleash a chain of events that brings about the end of the world and you think about that like f- physically and where the way the bomb might alter like the environment and stuff but the way like he, he ends it with and I think we did and it, he yeah. means figuratively and the way it could lead the, the way that bomb could lead to bigger and worse things and stuff and it's such a depressing way to end that movie. Like the way the two movies ended couldn't have been more different. One went for the lighthearted laughs and the other just went for pure fucking sorrow. It's the line earlier on that was like, um, it was like we did it and it was successful. And then the other guy says, until somebody builds a bigger bomb. I really, that line really hones in on what the message of the movie really should be. And that, is it, is it me scoring first you say? Yeah, yeah, you go first for this one. So Barbie's ending had me choking with me holding the tears back. And like I said earlier, like when they're in that that void and she's experiencing it all, really, really got to me. And and then you kind of see her open. Like I loved the ending of of you think she's gonna have a job because that's the stereotypical. That's the stereotypical ending. And then when she says it, I burst out into, into like proper laughter, fits of laughter. It was great. Um, but not just that, like before that as well, like Ken having his ending um, as well. 
at times it felt like more of a Ken movie than a Barbie movie. So I'm glad it got that out of the way before she could have a big, big ending. Um, but I'm going to give it 10-9 to Oppenheimer because there's just so many... Satis- like, obviously, Barbie's an upbeat ending, blah, blah, blah. But Oppenheimer is just so many satisfying moments with such a depressing ending. I mentioned it before, Emily Blunt, um, her moment where she refused to shake the guy's hand. Um, Oppenheimer stood there realising what Einstein said about um, people won't be celebrating you, they'll be celebrating themselves. Like, they're using you as a way to celebrate themselves kind of thing. Like, they did, his generation did with Albert Einstein, and now that's happening to Oppenheimer. They basically threw him to the side and then bring him out to do the awards and stuff and seeing um, his realization on his face and, and having that satisfaction, having the satisfaction of Robert Downey Jr. being fucked over. And, and I bet Alden Ehrenreich absolutely loved playing that scene where he gets to be the cocky shit and be like, uh, just opens the door when he's not ready and um, getting to get the pharaohs and all that kind of, kind of business. But the, the ending scene with the, the earth, catching a flame which i again somehow it's got to be practical effects it's nolan um with such a visually stunning way to end it i couldn't think of a better ending it was nolan's very well known for his you know his magic tricks at the end and his big reveals at the end and the fact that this is like a factual story that i'm obviously i didn't know the the real world of it but it's a factual story and i bet people who knew the story were still taken off guard or still taken on this massive journey i'd love to speak to somebody who didn't know everything about it and i probably will do at some point but um really really blew me away really really blew me no, no pun intended really really blew me away with how expertly crafted that ending was so yeah i'm gonna give it 10-9 to to Oppenheimer. yeah i've gone with the same as well i think we might be on like a run here just agreeing with almost everything but i went 10 9 i know i know yeah but i went 10 9 for oppenheimer too because like the barbie ending was hilarious and it got a huge laugh out of the entire cinema but it was played for laughs where i think the oppenheimer one it was just the realization of where that moment and that creation which going in it, i was almost worried it would be portrayed as like some huge triumph and the way it was portrayed at the end, where it was like, no, this was a big fucking mistake. And it makes you think like about the real world and like how things like that could eventually lead to some disasters. And it was like, there was silence in the cinema. Like it was the complete opposite. And I think just how monumental the conversation was. And obviously they teased it before and we'd seen the Albert Einstein before. And that was from, like you said earlier about the, the colors matching the point of view. The first time I saw it, it was in the black and white. And the, the, at the end, it was in colour, which was from Oppenheimer's um, perspective. And just, it was just that line. It, it was, it landed such a blow and it felt like it was like a gut punch to the stomach because it feels so like, even relevant now, like not to get too depressing, but there's always like these conflicts in the world and stuff for, like Russia and American stuff. And it's like, things like that are very possible even now. And creating that, atomic bomb and showing what was possible could have been one of the biggest mistakes of all time and it didn't end wars the way they thought it was it just encouraged other people to get involved and build similar sorts of devices so just having the ending nail that message and really really hammer it home with the final lines and like you said the the world the, the world catching fire it was i didn't see it coming and it like knocked me for six and it 
was something that I think will stay with me for quite a while. Whereas the Barbie one was played for laughs, but it was like, yeah, that was funny, but like that's done now. Where's the Oppenheim one? It was like everyone in the cinema was just sat there, like, what the fuck have we just seen? <laughs> like it was really like effective. I like that I, I saw controversies, obviously, as always is online. I saw controversies leading up to it being like, is it going to celebrate Oppenheimer? Is it going to celebrate all the things that he did? Is it going to be like a almost like a love letter to him? And it kind of was, but not in the way that people expected. I think they was going to be like celebrating the the bomb. And it wasn't that. They didn't really they didn't even show Hiroshima, which really shocked me. And and it it was the fact that they didn't make it about that and the ending was about coming to grips with it and having to live with it is is really what's going to stay with me and i i usually with these kind of films aren't not rushing to watch it again because i'm like one and done kind of thing whereas this one i'm like i need to watch it again i need to spend some time with it yeah i completely agree so now moving on to the um the more technical categories we've we've got the special effects one up next Obviously, both films feature quite a few different special effects, but they're very, very, very different. Barbies are more cartoony, and rather well, they look good. To be, they're, they're they're obviously supposed to look as though it was like um, a studio movie from like the thirties or the forties, and I think because of that, it's really effective. Because I've got a real soft spot for like things like Wizard of Oz and stuff, which is where. Uh, Greta Gerwig said she took a lot of her inspiration from those old movies, and you can see it in like the slapstick special effects that are used and how blatantly fake it all looks. But I really enjoy that yeah, and there's a certain charm to it. You're it's sorry? supposed to be a toy. They're all supposed to be toy yeah. areas as well, aren't they? Like the waves and, and stuff, all in the, <laughs> the beach, all very look like toys. Yeah, and then you, you, you compare that to Oppenheimer, which is apparently all practical effects, which is absolutely mind-blowing because some of the stuff you see in that is incredible, like... The, um, even the little bits where like he's having the, like the little nightmare visions of what's to come and like the explosions and stuff, and he's got the one where he's um, giving the speech and everyone's like in the shelter with him and he starts to like hallucinate and see like the effects of what the, a bomb would have on civilians. Like there's a woman whose skin is like peeling. I think I actually saw that's um, Christopher Nolan's daughter who um, did that bit. Oh, really? um, but yeah, and like the special effects they use to create like the bomb. And how apparently it's all practical, which I have no idea how they've done it. But Nolan's always figuring out ways to just reinvent special effects and the way he makes everything look, it's just second to none. And this is no different. And even the little the little things like the way he aged is um Emily Blunt up at the end. Because at first I saw Killian Murphy and I thought like it looked a little bit clearly like he'd had made up makeup on or like he was obviously like digitally aged but then you see emily blunt and she looked she looked incredible like that that looks so real like it not it really knocks me back um so when i come like partner that with like some of the special effects you use to create like the explosion and the way we see it and what really shocked me is how silent it was at first like I didn't expect that, and yeah. obviously logic suggests it would take time for the noise to reach, and then it, it made me jump when we actually 
but like <laughs> when the noise the explosion reached on the noise and everything started shaking and stuff and um just all of it from start to finish like the different effects that were used throughout the, the visions even that opening like scroll with the prometheus message and the flames there like i think it was all just beautiful and in an age now where we're seeing cgi and stuff just somehow getting worse in like the superhero movies as it's being rushed out. So seeing things like that and then just getting to watch something like this and seeing how practical effects can still be the very best way to do these sorts of things. It really um, struck me that these big blockbusters are just, I don't know how they're doing it so poorly. Like they're taking these cheat ways out and it's just not working the way it should. And it doesn't make sense that practical looks so much better, but it does. And even though I like both movies, uh, special effects, and the way both movies have clearly employed very different strategies for it, I think the Oppenheimer one and the achievements it it's um, made and just how impressive it all looked was quite significantly better for me. So I actually went 10-9 in favour of Oppenheimer. Actually, I went 10-8 in favour of Oppenheimer, actually. It was 10-8. Really? Yeah, yeah, I went 10-8 in favour of Oppenheimer on that one. Oh. How did you score that? Wow. I went 10 9 to Oppenheimer because mm. very easy. It's 10 9. You just watch both films. That's all you need to do. The the special effects of the visions he has, if they are practical, we I will come back to this episode when I've learned if they're practical and I will change it to a 10 8. But for now, 10 9, because if they are practical, which I believe they are. And that is phenomenal. All the visions he has, absolutely phenomenal. The the bomb, when that blows, the silence was part of the special effects in mind because they had the light. Everything, everything was again poorly punned, but blew me away. It's absolutely fantastic. And the 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 special effects are used very small in very small doses because they don't they're not needed all the time like in barbie um but when they're used they are used so effectively it just makes it work and it just has that much more of an impact a friend of mine asked um is because he's not seen oppenheimer yet is the explosion does it live up to the hype that everybody's I say it does but not in the way that you think because if you're expecting I mean, obviously we said spoilers, so if you, you've probably seen the movie, but if you're expecting this huge, like, mushroom cloud and, like, everything blown apart and Terminator 2-style buildings being ripped apart, it's it's not that. It's done so... Is tastefully the right word? I don't know. But it's done in such an effective way where it can still be practical, yet still have a massive, a massive impact Again, another poorly, poorly worded pun, but it can have this massive impact in in such a in such a small moment. And I like uh, I like the bit when it, the bomb goes off. Obviously, there's that delayed effect, and there's the bomb that goes off, and everybody's cheering. All of a sudden, all the wind finally hits them. Um, it, it just 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 great. And like I say, it's the the aging. I didn't for once think anything was digitally aged at the end with Killian. I um, I thought he looked fantastic. Uh, obviously had um, lenses in to make himself look bloodshot in the eyes and Emily Blunt looked fantastic as well. I, I, Robert Downey Jr., I said it earlier with his acting, but he looked frail and old, even though he was powerful. He looked, the, the makeup on Robert Downey Jr. with like the liver spots on the head and stuff, it, fantastic. Just, there's no other words. It's 
Oppenheimer easily. Oppenheimer. I didn't realise we were being so harsh and giving out lots of these tens eights. I know, yeah, I've got a couple to be fair. Um, moving on quickly then. To be fair, this one might go a little different because next up we'll talk about the set design and specifically, Bobby. yeah, specifically the way Barbie Land was designed and created as opposed to Los Alamos in um, Oppenheimer. So I think it's another way where, uh, way where these two films are actually vaguely similar. Like you've obviously got the second leads who have a little bit of a villainous turn later on to this, like as a surprise to us. And you've also got these two very distinct locations that have been created for these movies. Obviously Barbie land is where everything's set. Like it's the home of the Barbies. Like, and it's just this all encompassing world, which is just bright and beautiful and just wild. Like, and the way it's been created to not only feature them all, but also to look so closely like the, the toys and stuff. Like there's even little toys like there's the dog. And there was a few other things <laughs> like, um, and Eleanor was like, I used to have that. <laughs> Like there were little bits that she remembered having as a kid, um, and the way that was all like created and stuff, it was just immaculate. And then you compare that to the way Oppenheimer recreated the Los Alamos, like almost town that they built to house all of the scientists as they worked on the bomb in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like just to have those two very distinct creations there, it's it's. It, I mean, it helped us like with this these categories. Like, because they are two things. They are two things you actually can compare. Um, so yeah. I'll let you go first. Oh, on this. What's that? Sorry. I said I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, picking between the okay. two. Uh, well, Barbie. Done. Do you want me to explain? <laughs> um. Well, first I need your score. Oh yeah, sorry. Ten nine, Barbie. Ten nine. Um. But yeah, Barbie Land was very, very perfectly done. Everything looked like a toy. You had the, like when she went down the slide and started walking across the pool because it's clearly like it's supposed to be a sticker or something like a bit of plastic. Um, the shower, the cups, the the even the wardrobe, the milk carton that's big and plastic and chunky. Every, like I said, the beach, the waves. I, one of my favourite jokes, which I think I was the only person proper laughing at it and nobody else was laughing around me, was um, when the ambulance came and then the back came off the, like like a toy does. Like every all the set design, everything this in the set that was designed that way was perfectly done. And you're not thinking, oh, this is a kind of like, do you know how I can... Toy Story, they are toys, but they they move and walk and talk like, well, obviously a little bit exaggerated cartoon humans, but still like humans. Barbie Land, everything was quite clearly, they didn't act as if it was normal. They didn't act as if it was, this was like just their version of that thing. It was, they are toys. I don't think, think I'm explaining what I'm, what I'm picturing very well, but like when she drink it, she's not putting it to her lips. She's putting it close. Like all that, those small set design um, aspects really, really worked in favour. I think like the swing on the treehouse next door to Barbie's house, the rope wasn't rope. It was plastic like a toy would be. And uh, weird Barbie's house, um, hilarious. Um, and then, of course, you don't just get Barbie Land um, with Barbie Land. You get Kendom, 
And when that turns into Kendom, it becomes even better. Well, it doesn't become better, uh, but it becomes like a completely different, almost like a set, uh, like with all of the whole, uh, everything being changed to horses and monster trucks and, and all that. So 100% 10 9 to Bobby. Los Alamos is great, and I'm 100% betting with Christopher Nolan. It was built, it was a big, huge, real set. I like the bit when they go through and Emily Blunt like is Blunt is like, um, all we're missing is a saloon. Um, but it was designed off a real place. I bet they've got the schematics and built it like for like. And in that aspect, it's very impressive. I bet they drop, they built the tower where they dropped the bomb. Um, I bet all that is real. But yeah, you you can't deny the set design in Barbie. It's creative, it's fun, it's imaginative. Um, just it's pink, which I represented today, Cal. Come on. Yeah, I've actually gone 10-8 in favour of Barbie this time. I've swung the 10 around. I've gone 10-8 in favour of Barbie this time. I think just the level of detail that has to go into making Barbie Land, and I don't know about you, but I didn't think we'd spend that much time there. From the trailer, no. I gathered we were going to a world, and I thought Barbie Land at the beginning, Barbie Land at the end, and that was that. But we spent so much more time there, and it meant everything that was designed had to be like perfect and it had to be so detailed and all the different locations were so like including going up to weird barbie's house and the colorful steps and stuff and the way she lives and the beach and like i said the the ridiculous like wave that's just kind of stuck yeah. and all the different barbie houses and i think it all just looked immaculate and like you said los alamos they had something to go off there they knew what they were building because it was a historical place. Like I imagine it was very accurate. I imagine it was the Nolan had done his research and his due diligence and he knew exactly what he needed to build. And they did that, but was, I think Barbie required a little bit more imagination. And I think Greta Gerwig and her team like pulled that off so well that it was one, I'm not even just saying this now between these two, but I think that the set design for that Barbie land is one of the best like we've seen in quite some time. And again, it was something she took inspiration from the Wizard of Oz with the colours and the way it looks like a backdrop, like a, a studio in the 30s or 40s. And there is that sort of um, nostalgia there about those like sorts of movies. And it felt, I felt that charm and the colours and the way it was all designed. It was, it was easy. Like, and I think because we spent so much time there as opposed to Los Alamos, which was towards the middle of the movie, but at the beginning, it takes a while to get there. And then the last like hours like spent away from it. So I think in terms of how long we spend in each and the level of detail and design, it was a clear, a clear, clear winner for me. And there's no contest. I went 10, eight, let's go. It was dominant. Barbie takes it. Um, I actually think in the, the Barbie dream houses and most of Barbie land was set as well, like a full set. Like they weren't, it wasn't just one Barbie house duplicate, it was huge, big, huge. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen some behind the scenes videos where the, the actual set of Barbie land is, is quite big. And so imagine being on that set day to day as well. Yeah, I mean, that's fun. I mean, if this was a super Marvel movie, that was all CGI. They were in a shed with a green screen behind them. So let's just be grateful we got what we got. Um, <laughs> a quick question before we move on to the last two. Do you know with, with the Oscars and obviously like, you get all those technical awards. Do you think Oppenheimer is just going to clean sweep it all? Like the special effects, like the sound design and stuff? Yeah, we're not really a huge awards guy. So, but this year I might get into it a little bit more. But I would imagine out of the two, 
if Barbie doesn't win set design, I'll be surprised, or at least get nominated for it. I'll be surprised. But Oppenheimer will will do big numbers, I think, because it is such a big, big movie that you can't. There's going to be a lot of cast nominations, and I'm guessing a lot of cast wins. I don't write down as you guess one. I'll put good money on Killian Murphy as well. Um, sound design and sound, you know, special effects. Definitely, if, if that is all practical, then it's got to it's got to win. Um, but but yeah, like I said, I'm not a huge awards guy, so I don't really have much authority on it. But but yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think it will probably walk away with quite a few of those technical awards, especially if it doesn't get the casting performance ones, which it probably should as well. But we'll see. Um, so next, this was one uh, you suggested a category that will almost never do again because I can't imagine a scenario where we will do this but this one is which movie best lived up to the hype that was surrounding it coming in um, because both movies like we said had an incredible amount of hype they've both been really popular fans have been talking about Barbenheimer for so long and they've been so closely linked online and stuff so heading into them there was a sense of like intrigue and built up um, anticipation so if we're just going to talk about which one lived up to the hype the most, I'll go first here. And I said 10-9 in favour of Oppenheimer because heading into it, I actually think I was looking forward to Barbie more. Um, and I said that to my uh, to Eleanor last week. Like Looking at two movies, I was more excited for Barbie and I expected more from Barbie than I did Oppenheimer because I've historically not been a big Christopher Nolan guy. I don't like Tenet at all. Like... Dunkirk, I think, was fine. Interstellar was fine. Like, I don't think it's the mind-blowing movie that certain people do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think The Dark Knight was good. Batman Begins was fine. Dark Knight Rises was, wasn't too great. Um, I've never been that huge a fan. Like, don't get me wrong, I like some of his movies, but he's not, like, one of my top three or four directors. So I wasn't as hyped for that as I was for Barbie. But coming out of it, all I'm thinking about is, like, how incredible Oppenheimer was. And it really, really blew me away. Again, I'm stealing your puns there. And I didn't even mean to. Um, whereas, and I, I really liked Barbie as well. But I think coming out, because I think I, I enjoyed the the way Oppenheimer was shot and like the certain visuals and the ending. And I feel like going forward, like coming out of yesterday, that was the movie that, I wanted to talk about the most and everything about it and the cast, the performances from everyone across the board. So while I loved Barbie, I think I expected to, whereas Oppenheimer, I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. So I feel like that lived up to everyone else's hype and it exceeded mine. So I went 10-9 in favour of Oppenheimer. Interesting. I think you got two two battles. With Oppenheimer, you're living up to the hype of Christopher Nolan film because... I'm like you, I'm not his biggest fan. But he is such a, like I said earlier, he's such a big director that is such a big thing for his cinema is his thing, he practicality is his thing, big directorial day like this this kind of movie is his thing. So we, if you don't live up to that, like if you don't live up to an interstellar, which is loved for some reason, not for me, but it is loved. And Dark Knight is obviously one of the most beloved. Batman movies of all time, if not superhero movies of all time, Tenet shit. But uh, we all agreed on that. Dunkirk had this massive, Dunkirk had this massive like war film epic to it, and 
a lot of people really, really love that. And Prestige is, like I say, it's one of my favourite films. You've got Inception. Um, so to live up to the hype of a Christopher Nolan film versus Barbie's living up to the hype was it wasn't it had to live up to the hype of the marketing of the promise it was making and of is this film going to be everything that the cast is making it out to be and they both did it so i'm going to cop out again and do a 10 10 because in their own respects they both lived up to their own hype like this has really made me go fuck he is a great filmmaker and he like christopher nolan like you can't deny even if the film was bad like you you can't deny that it's a fantastic film but it wasn't bad it was it was near perfect and it was it really really lived up to that hype of a christopher nolan film and not just that but a big actually i wouldn't say blockbuster but a big film not a movie but a film which in my head there is a distinction, but it really, really lived up to that huge, those huge expectations. And I didn't expect it because it's a, you know, it's a documentary piece, pretty much. It's a, bio, a, a biography. And I wasn't expecting to be kind of blown away. Didn't mean to do that that time, but blown away with it as much as, as much as I did. But it really, really did. And so it massively lived up that. And, the expectations on Barbie were so high because of all the fun marketing, because of how fun the trailers are, because of how all the interviews with Margot Robbie and Ke- uh, I nearly said Ken, Ryan Gosling. Um, <laughs> Ryan Gosling is Ken, that's it. Now, it Ryan Gosling is Ken. Um, everything building up to Barbie it had the potential to fail. It had the potential to fail because it held itself up so high but luckily it can stand on its legs and and stand proud because it's a phenomenal movie so again phenomenal but that's why i couldn't i couldn't go either way and i copped out it was me that suggested this one and i copped out by just giving it to both of them but did they live up to the barbenheimer hype yeah we both you don't have to have any insider scoop you can look online and see which is the more successful film um in terms of money but money doesn't equal everything as we as we both know um you know we both love the eurovision movie um yeah and that didn't make anything uh, the flash flash didn't make much and that was a masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, but they are both worthwhile contributions to to film and cinema this year to the point where i was thinking about the films this year and i decided i'm going to make a top 10 contenders for my film of the year on letterbox list and the first two that went in there were barbie and oppenheimer and then i had to think of what the rest of the films were like i didn't think anything would get better than um spider-verse or guardians 3 which are two superhero movies for me but then again we had the whale this year as well and john wick 4 which blew me away and mission impossible and these two somehow have topped everything already so unless Ninja Turtles is the best fucking movie of all time, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna be hard to well it's gonna be sorry, it's gonna be really hard to knock these two off the top spot. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um like I said, this could have been a very, very different weekend if we got these two movies that have been built up so highly and they both just sucked. Like it would have been such a more depressing like turnaround for everyone. And I don't know if word of mouth will spread or whether these movies like especially Barbie would continue to do numbers the way it has if it was a bad movie but it's not 
they're both incredible and having them two now and Mission Impossible last week it's just what a time movies are just thriving right now it felt like we were going a very different direction when all these franchises were struggling to make money and now we've just had three fucking superb movies in 10 days and my even though I love both my most anticipated movie of the year getting into it was uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon so if that can even oh, be yeah. half as good as these then I am very very happy um, so yeah I think both films did a great job living up to the hype but for me I think Oppenheimer exceeded my hype for it which is why I went a little more in that favour but we'll close it out with the Sorry, I think it's also like really interesting that we've got these really individual, massive films that are both masterclasses in what they want to do and the messages they want to get across. They're both expertly crafted, so finely tuned, especially Oppenheimer. It's so finely tuned, so tight and well played out, whilst we've got writer strikes and yeah. everything's looking a bit uncertain. It's madness. Yeah, like if this doesn't show you... Pay your fucking writers and pay your actors. Like, just pay everyone. Pay everyone what they deserve. Pay me what I deserve. Don't pay me. <laughs> I pay you what you deserve because that's pennies. Um, but we'll close it out and we'll go on to the final uh, category, which is usually we do like the legacy one, which is how a film has held up um, after so many years and how it's looked back now. But if this was your suggestion again, so you have contributed positively somehow um but we'll go, you suggested this with the potential legacy and how we think these movies will be looked back at and how they'll hold up over the years um so i'll let you go first for this one in terms of barbie and oppenheimer how do you think both movies will look back going forward and which one do you think will have like the long like the, be- the stronger legs and will be more fondly remembered and have the greater legacy I went, it's hard to score this one because this wasn't completely opinion based and speculative. And you know, are all these not opinion based? Are these, uh, all right? Well, if you want to play that (laughs) fucking game, Jesus Christ, (laughs) I didn't know your word was gospel. I've been using my opinion. I feel like you don't know me well enough to understand that my word is gospel and (laughs) I believe my own voice more than anybody else's. Maybe I should start paying attention to you then. If you're telling me that Ken isn't the best second lead, and that's not a fact, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Fine, sorry, let me rephrase that. In my opinion, um, you know, they're both, I think they're both going to be huge movies that are remembered fondly and looked back on for very, very different things. Um Oppenheimer, like I say, is a is very finely tuned masterclass in filmmaking. But I gave up Ten Night and Barbie because Barbie is going to be one of those films. Like Oppenheimer, to me, doesn't beat The Prestige, and The Prestige is still Christopher Nolan's best film in my eyes. And I can, I will say that to anybody. I will fight anybody on it, and I will watch it as many times as I like, and nobody can fucking stop me. But I won't feel like that with Oppenheimer. I feel like with Oppenheimer that I, I, even though I do want to watch it again, I would be happy if I never watched this film again because it had such a profound impact and such a, it was such an experience that I don't feel like Top Gun Maverick. I'm happy never watching it again because if I watch it again, it's probably going to be on a TV screen. And I've watched Oppenheimer and Top Gun in the IMAX. And to me, they are perfect experiences because IMAX is fantastic. Um, 
but they are perfect experiences and I would be happy to never watch them again knowing that I've experienced it in the way that I've experienced it whereas Barbie I can't wait to watch it again. I will watch it when it comes out on Blu-ray. I've already pre-ordered the Steelbook for those people who like CD collector's editions like me. I've already pre-ordered the Steelbook. Um, it's going to be one of those movies that is passed down. Oppenheimer won't be. It's It will be in circles, obviously, but Barbie will be passed down through children, through grandchildren, nieces and, and nephews and People, families will continue to watch it. It will become one of those DVDs that kids watch on repeat until the parents know every single word and get bored of it. It's it's plus it's it's a, a, another like you said earlier. It's this big. It's going to be regarded as one of the biggest, one of the bigger feminist movies, feminist movement movies that it will it will have legs and it will be one of those ones that we look back on and point to this is when this message started to change hopefully this is when things started to change and not obviously not all based on the barbie movie but this will be a turning point for a lot of young people who are seeing this for the first time and and, and starting to decide and it's not it's not heavy-handed it's not for nothing's forced in the movie it all feels very natural and, and i think that's how we will have the legacy of the barbie movie is that it will be passed down and it will have a an, an, an impact on younger generations yeah, I again agree with you. I'm not sure how much I like how I enjoy agreeing with you this much. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, but I agree. I went ten nine in favor of Barbie as well because while Oppenheimer will be looked at as a like really really strong showcase in just expert filmmaking, and so the performances will be looked back at as some of the true greats. I think Barbie's legacy will go further than just the movie and like you said the way the message it sends to young women especially uh i think it'll be a real powerhouse and uh for them and i think it'll be one of those movies like almost like a cult movie but one that's really fucking successful at the same time like it's going to mean so much to so many young women and young men uh it's going to mean so much to anyone that's struggling to find themselves and i also think in terms of greta gerwig i feel like it's going to be looked back as her like magnum opus i think this is so far this is the best it's been and it feels like she's really taken that next step now like lady bird and little women were both incredible movies but this is a true blockbuster now and i saw it's the biggest opening uh female directors ever had like and there's a real chance she will become the highest grossing it will become the highest grossing movie by, um, directed by a woman ever i think the record at the moment's captain marvel but with the way it's going, it's what's that? Sorry, I think, it's, I think it's already beat Captain Marvel. No, but I mean, in total gross. Oh, total gross. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think sorry. it will get there eventually. Um, so I think looking back as the highest grossing movie potentially directed by a woman, the message it's going to send, and like I know there's a certain group of people in the world that seem to think it's poisonous or whatever ridiculous notion they're coming up with. And, They'll use a few buzzwords to try to slander it. Like I'm seeing fully grown men, right? They record like 45 minute videos about how Barbie's dangerous for young people. And it's like, give it a rest, man. I think because it's going to tick off all the right people, that's also going to lend to its longevity as a positive message to this younger generation. So I think because of that, it's an easy one for me that while Oppenheimer, I think was great. And I think I enjoyed slightly more. This movie will 
long surpassed its legacy for me because, like you said, Oppenheim is not even Christopher Nolan's best movie. This could be one of the best movies directed by a woman or even like a man in terms of pop culture and the way the message is spreading ever. So I went 10 9 in favor of Barbie as well. And yeah, we agree on that. I think as well with what you're saying about Greta Gerwig, this could be her pivotal moment. This could be her thick, like big, big moment. I also kind of see it like Little Women and Ladybird are, you know, they were big, but they weren't huge. But this could be her, her moment where she all of a sudden becomes that household name. Like James Gunn had, you know, Super and a lot of other films under his belt before Guardians of the Galaxy, and but it was Guardians of the Galaxy that made him what he is now. And I would love it if that happened to Greta Gerwig because she's obviously got a, I mean, I've seen little clips of Little Women, little clips of Little Women, seen a small a few clips of Little Women, um, which weren't about very, very small, short women, which I was surprised to find out. Um, and obviously I've seen all of this, but based off of this, I hope she has a, I hope she becomes that massive household director name, like, you know, like the... Um, James Gunn's or the Peter Jackson's or the Steven Spielberg's because she's definitely got the talent and she's definitely got the right positive attitude and just from looking at um, I think not I don't even think it's going to be the just the film that has a legacy the marketing the lead up everything about it even the the release of what happened in cinemas you can go up to any website not any website we can go to most news websites and uh, type up like what happened in, and there's, there's, there's pictures of everything like it wasn't just a marketing ploy. People like actually got involved. Like we saw it firsthand. People got involved. People wanted to dress up. People wanted to bring the family. It was pink, the most amount of pink I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, it's. I think, and that's what's going to give it give it legs. Yeah, I agree. It's um, interesting to look like you mentioned there. This could be like. In comparison to Spielberg, this could be her Jaws, the movie that really announces her to the more casual movie fans that probably watched Little Women but didn't know who Greta Gerwig was and didn't pay attention to who Greta Gerwig was. And now that maybe these younger women or even just younger audiences in general, um, I mean, and I'm speaking for myself especially, that when you see or hear there's a Greta Gerwig movie coming out, I know I'm going to watch it now because her success rate, just it's just, it's unmatched right now. She's she's got a perfect three and all record in my eyes. Like she's not missed yet. So I think the way this is going and how big a success this is, I think this will be one of those where now people will go out of their way to watch a greater Gerwig movie. She's, she's the new, hopefully she's like Zack Snyder. (laughs) (laughs) I love Zack Snyder. I love that Zack Snyder and I love all his movies, but that, that joke, cracked me up more than any other joke it was me and one other person and we know that other person uh, who laughed in that cinema nobody else laughed at that joke and it was me and an ex-employee that we used to work with laughed and i was like oh who's that guy that laughed and as i bumped into him on the way out of the screen i was like was it you and he went, yeah it was yeah <laughs> yeah i think i was the only one in my screen eleanor was saying i don't think she got the joke but uh <laughs> yeah, that was a funny moment. But anyway, that brings the Cinematch contest to an end. And I've got the scores here. And let me just say, this is very, very, very close. Which, I mean, considering how closely linked the two movies were and the whole hype around it, it's quite fitting that this was such a divisive 
um, contest and like it's so down the middle like it could have gone either way. What did um, before we get into what the scores are? What did you think was going to come out on top? And so we both have letterbox accounts. What ratings did you give both movies? And what did you think was going to come out on top? So I give Barbie four and a half stars. Um, I recently give it four, and I mean I give it four, and I immediately within ten minutes thought, no, no, <laughs> like I don't know why I put four. Like it was, it was like it was one of those that I, I sat with it for a while before um Oppenheimer we we went to grab some food and I was just like on my way and I was thinking the more I thought about it I was like that wasn't that wasn't four I don't uh, and it, that's going up to four and a half and then I give Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer five and that was like a similar sort of mindset but I made it before the end of the movie so it was about maybe three quarters through and I thought this is probably a four and a half star and then as the the closing stages occurred and everything was like wrapped up and I, I got to the end and the, the meeting with Albert Einstein and we heard everything and then I saw the world on fire and I was like no this is five like I don't think there's any way I could find to improve what I've just seen so I went immediately went five on that and I don't know because I saw your scores for both and I wasn't sure which movie you'd favour and um I wasn't sure which I'd favour because it's well it's all well and good saying you like one movie more. But when you really split it into certain categories, you find that there might be several in one that you rate higher than the film you actually enjoyed more overall. So I wasn't really sure which way it was going to go. Um, how about you? What, what did you think was going to happen? Well, I, letterbox-wise, have started a new rule um, based on what my friend does, where I don't rate anything five stars now unless I've seen it twice. And it holds up a second time. So nothing can be a perfect film until you've watched it a second time. Or a five-star film, should I say. And it still holds up. Because there's plenty of films that I've seen that have gone, I thought that was great. And then you watch it a second time and go, actually. Like Shazam 2. I came out of Shazam 2 thinking, this is really fucking good. And I saw clips of it after. I was like, oh, no, not great. So I now follow that rule. So, But that being said, I gave them both four and a half because it can't be a five with my rule. But if I didn't have that rule, they would both be fives. Mm. And I I didn't know it was going to come out on top. I genuinely didn't know what I was going to think was going to come out on top. I went in thinking Barbie's probably going to win. But then I started tatting up, totting up my scores, and I was like, I don't know. And then I, scored, I saw my final score, which was how I've scored things. It was an, an even tie. It was 96-96 for me. Um, I don't know what the final scores are, and I bet nobody's at home penciling it up at the same time, so it's still going to be a reveal, but I don't know what the final scores are, but I genuinely thought, because Barbie's the funner movie, it's going to be come out on top, but it it was a tie for me, but I'm very surprised at how I scored things myself, to be honest. Similarly to that, what you said about Barbie being the funny movie that you thought would come out on top, I had a similar belief when I created that poll on Twitter about Ryan Gosling and RDJ, and I was surprised at how overwhelming the vote was towards Robert Downey Jr. instead. Yeah. So it's um, it's strange because both movies are just so completely different. So it's it's such a bizarre concept that they've been so closely linked and we're even comparing them now because there's no other, like where we'll ever compare two movies this different again. Like, we try to keep these movies that are closely linked. Like, we did Ghostbusters and Back to the Future. We did Winter Soldier and uh, The Dark Knight. Like, it's always going to be movies closely linked. So this was so different that it was one of those where... And, um, 
not to get too sidetracked, but it was also movies that we'd never seen before this weekend. Like, yeah, this yeah. was this was, was the first bit, time viewing. Yeah, I was a bit nervous coming into today because, like, I've got a naturally bad memory, as we both know. So I'm like, I was trying to think of the opening. I was really struggling, and it's like, can I do it? But hey, I it was it was interesting. Like you say, we're never going to really do films like this. Well, probably not like on this kind of scale again. Not and until we do Soul Patrol. Two very, very different films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> until we yeah, until we're doing the Soul Patrol movie. Um, what other ones? What other ones are coming out that we could that we could do? Um, but like what Dune and what what's coming out around the time of Dune? What what so month is Dune? Know. Is that November? I think it's August, August, November. I don't know. Dune and Ghostbusters, the fourth Ghostbusters film. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but there's no, yeah, there's never really going to be one like this, and you know, like we couldn't not do it. No, like I said, this was the whole hype around it, and everyone comparing it was what really led me to get the idea to do this show, like comparing movies like this. So we had it felt like a necessity that we covered it. Um, so yeah, it was I, I had a good time it, doing it. We have, we've definitely covered it, and this is probably going to be the longest. <laughs> I feel like every week is going to get longer and longer and longer. That's what she said. It's because we. <laughs> It's because we, uh, I think we like to talk a bit too much. I don't know about you, but it's been known that I like the sound of my own voice. Um, don't know about yourself, but um, without yeah, I think we found out last week was, or this was it last week, yeah, a week today was. We both like talking. We both like the sound of our own voice until we have to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Then when I have to listen back, there's nothing worse. So I regret talking <laughs> as much as I do. Um, but. <laughs> Without further ado, I do have the scores here. Um, and wow. winning 190 to 189 is... Gonna, I'm not even going to do the fake drum, the, the drum roll because you didn't hear it last week. I couldn't hear it last week. So, it's, I mean, I heard it back and I was like, no, you literally can't hear that. That was a waste of time. Uh, the winner wow. is Oppenheimer. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, it was going to... Mainly, it was, that was all them 10-8s you were throwing out. Hey, I did two for Oppenheimer and one for Barbie. So if, I just, if one of those Oppenheimers was a 10-9, I'd have had it tied too. And I don't know how to feel about just being a tie down the middle for the, after such a great weekend. Like, by action. the way, we couldn't separate them. That would have been one of the worst cop-outs ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. One point in it, which is crazy. Um, I don't think there's going to be many films where it's ever quite that close again. Um, especially films that are so fucking different. Like, but it was great. I had I had a great time um, discussing it. Uh, this episode is incredibly long, I imagine, but it's been fun. Um, next week, I think we we discussed earlier off camera. We're going to try something a little different. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll reveal that more details on that through the week on the social media channels, which I'm going to sound like a professional podcaster now because I've never done this. But if anyone is listening, they should they should head over to the um, different social media platforms we've got. It's this Cinematch podcast is currently on Instagram uh, and Twitter at Cinematch Pod, and it's on Facebook at the Cinematch Podcast. Um, and if you're listening on Spotify or Apple uh, podcast we're also on youtube at the cinematch podcast so feel free to go over there and subscribe even if you don't want to see our faces um you can find me on numerous different like social medias but the one i use the most for this sort of thing is twitter um that's where i chat the most bollocks about movies and sports and stuff and that's at callum altimus 
which is A-L-T-I-M-A-S, which a lot of people have trouble spelling. Do you know the amount of people that will spell my last name with a U instead of an A at the end? It drives me nuts, but it happens. And um, where can they find you, Mr. Hannah? Uh, currently on Twitter until it dies a death, uh, uh, at nay underscore 204. And the only other place I'd really post anything of interest is on my letterbox, which is on at nay 214. Oh, yeah, I forgot my letterbox, which is... Filled with, I mean, I watch too many films, so there's plenty of absolutely sensational reviews on there, which is just uh, also, um, <laughs> I've also got my only fans, which is uh, at Come On Barbie. <laughs> is that uh, is that a sign? Is that a hint of what uh, to expect? <laughs> that was, I like that. I'll like say that. a word. Right, uh, thanks for listening, guys, and um, we'll see you very soon. Then, peace out. Yeah.